podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Scouser Tommies with me, Jim Boardman, and as always, Jay Reed, as we look ahead and look back on what's going on with Liverpool. But from a, a local perspective, you know, because maybe maybe things aren't the same, the way we see things and how we hear things, to what you might only get to hear if you've got to listen to it all from afar. And there's plenty of stuff to listen to from wherever you are with stuff with Liverpool at the moment. All the stuff off the field continues with stuff like the stuff from Man City and the, their fans and, and their people. There's lots of that we can talk about, but maybe maybe more fun is to talk about a couple of games on the way, but a couple of wins. Um, last time last time we did a podcast, Jay, we were looking ahead to that City game. That was the one right in our sights. And I think you said you'd have took a point on that one. And, well, we, we went too bad. Yeah, Um a week's a long time in football. I guess forty-four days is a long time in politics as well. Yeah. Um, but you know, <clears throat> things can change quickly, as we know with the prime ministers. You know, there's a revolving door, and as one goes in, another comes out, and as a poor performance goes out, and a, a good performance comes in. So, yep, a point would have been. I still would have shook hands on a point right up until the final whistle. To be mm. honest, because yeah. I was never fully at ease for that whole game. Um, but I think we did say it wouldn't be a surprise, did we? Turn up and you know put a performance in and and get the three points. It wouldn't have been a shock to us. Um, and lo and behold, uh, that's what we did. But you know, false dawns or are we going to kick on from here? Who knows? But I think the evidence on Wednesday night sort of you know backed it up a little bit. Like maybe we are just trying to get back to the old basics as, as cliche as that is and mm. keeping clean sheets well you, you can't lose if you keep a clean sheet so you know you, you build from the back and I, I'm more than happy that we've kept two clean sheets in a row Um, you know the goals are lovely and performances of attacking players has been great this week but keeping those two clean sheets in the back I think was was really good for us and you know, the lads who are back there, like the keeper and the centre-halves and the defenders who've played a part over the last two games, it probably means a lot more to them to keep a clean sheet than actually probably get the three points because that's their bread and butter at the end of the day. Yeah, and it's um, it's a, it's like a constantly evolving back four as well, isn't it? Because we've had, you know, if you think about the last sort of three games even, the, the number of different plays we've had in all the different positions, I think Virgil and Ali are probably the only constants so we've had to swap and swap and change for different reasons injuries and and so on and so forth but um i mean the i think from the on the city game it was just good to see robo coming back and and being robo wasn't it i mean that was the sort of game that was suited for him but i mean discussed this a little bit on other podcasts but then 
I want to see if you know just about everyone I've said this to see whether you're the same um how happy were you not in a nasty way or anything how happy were you when you saw James Milner was starting it right back against City I was shitting myself <laughs> if I'm honest um you know it was you know pick your poison sort of thing who started right back or centre half um delved in with you know the delight that Henderson wasn't playing and we were having our strongest midfield two out there Um, but folding against Milner before the game I was shitting myself (laughs) honestly I thought like if if we keep a clean sheet after the first 20-25 minutes I was like I was saying to the lads who was with the match it's like a cup tie like we're the minnows and we're playing away at home at like some some giant football team and it's like right you get through the first 20 you quiet the crowd in this case it was like you know your you crowd behind you yeah. um, and then you see to half time and you go to 60-65 you make your changes and then you know you, you kind of throw the kitchen sink because it would be and see if you can get something and as it transpired it, it sort of had moments that in the game but um, yeah Milner's performance rolled back the years. There was yeah. there was moments where I know he re- he did play really well, but any time Foden come inside, obviously the pace of him, it was scary. Um, and I, I think a lot of people have glossed over that because any time he went down the outside, he shut him down and he had the help of Elliot. But he was probably three or four times Foden come inside and he went right the way across the box. Ala Luis Diaz really, and it was worrying. But there's not much he can do. Um, and if you just fast forward it like oh, three or four days later when he come off the bench and he's tried to side Michael Antonio in half <laughs> like that was James Miller in a nutshell like that's the sort of the thing we, we want from him um, we shouldn't have to re- rely on a man of his age to do it but he can do it yeah. and coming off the bench for 15 minutes as he did the other night and we needed that um, break up the play get stuck in you know kick someone up in the air if you have to but Sunday was was vintage sort of defensive right back performance, and you, you can't knock the lad. He's you know he's he's had a lot of average performances, but if that's the one that he's gonna one good one he's gonna have all season, then I can live with that. Yeah, I think someone said on Raw the other day he's an honest player, and that's that's what you want from him. You know, <clears throat> he'll admit if he's struggling. I'm sure Klopp knows what his limitations are, and I'm sure he'll be the first one to say them. But you know, they can work on things like that and work round it and, and take that into account. I wonder though how much, um, I wonder how much it was sort of like a personal thing with him as well, because um, there's this thing we've talked about before. We hardly ever boo ex-players. The odd one gets it. Raheem Sterling, the prime example, because of the way he left. On the whole, if an ex-player comes back to this club, comes back to Anfield to play against us, he'll get applauded on and off the pitch. He'll get, you know, he'll get a cheer when his name gets read out even before kick-off. You know, know, we always sort of welcome our old players back, our old servants, if you like. But unless, as I said, they've done something dodgy. Now, whether Milner's seen as doing something dodgy to one of the richest clubs in football by running down his contract so that they couldn't get a, a small transfer fee for him, I don't know. But... I've heard their fans booing him in the past when he's had the ball. It's just, you know, a very small time thing to do if you ask me. Um, and I don't think he deserves it. I don't, I really don't. And I just wonder whether that's something with him as well that he's thinking, you know what, after what I did with you and that's the way you're treating me now, I've got something to prove to you. And then on top of that, I may be wrong, but I'm pretty sure Foden said that when he was in the academy, Milner was there and he really looked up to him. So it's kind of like, 
you know, the master teaching the apprentice a few tricks. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe it's just the humility of the people of the city and the club. Um, because, you know, we, we, we've said many a time on this podcast, like, the type of people that we are, we're open-armed, we're, we're welcoming, you, you know, your front door's always open sort of thing, and there's always a seat at the bar um, yeah. for you if you were to come in. And, you know, we don't forget those who've who've helped us, whether it be large or small. If you've if you've played in a red shirt, and you say there's a couple of exceptions, but if you played in a red shirt, then you've done something that thousands of people in the city and in the world would love to do and mm-hmm. would give anything to do. So, so you know, you've you've achieved something there, and you'll be you'll be rightly given a round of applause. So, yeah, maybe it's just a sort of you know a personality culture thing, and you know. That sort of mank attitude that you know it's it's them against the world sort of thing and flicking up the parker and bouncing down the street and giving the v's to everyone all liam gallagher style that you know <laughs> every, everybody hates you but you'll carry on because you're a rock and roll star sort of thing and you know it's just a bit disrespectful like milner done done nothing but honestly for them as you say like that, that's the word but you know you, you put graft and he's been around the Around the hours as you play Newcastle, Villa, Leeds, but you know, all proper football clubs. And he went to City at a time when they were growing into a, a club that they are now, yeah. legally or illegally, however you want to look at it. But he, I can imagine he, he give gifted it all for them. And you know, he played multiple positions like he has for us. And you know, it, it shows a lack of understanding, probably shows the type of fan base that they've got now, where you know, the, the real footballers, um, fans. Would probably give Milner a round of applause, but these sort of modern day bandwagon jumpers, you know, just because it's it's cool or it looks good on video for your social media to to be a Liverpool lad, even though he's got history and heritage with Manchester City and won your trophies, then you know it probably sums up that that sort of club as what they are now, what they weren't, what they were sorry twenty thirty years ago is completely different to what they are now. Yeah, it's true, and I think um, I mean let's get on to the City fans then before we get on back onto the game too much because it can't be ignored what happened there because there's this sort of like the the, the story in a nutshell in case you've like ignored all the stuff that happens off the field is that Klopp kind of called them out over the money um, and without going on on and on about it, yeah, Liverpool are higher at the league table of money in the top flight than other clubs in the top flight are, but you know Liverpool can spend big on transfers by carefully planning the transfers. Liverpool do well on sales as well, which is something that doesn't always get recognised. Liverpool do quite well. They bring players in and quite often make a profit, even on players who don't get used because it's just very carefully done the way that it's managed. Liverpool's wages are under control. Um, it's probably why it took Salah so long to get a new deal because we're not going to go and break the transfer um, structure too much, the wage structure too much, and then get other people, you know, when all of a sudden it spirals out of control. So, you know, there is a difference and there's limits. Liverpool have got a limit. I'm 90% sure if Pep Guardiola said, oh, you know, somebody's available for 200 million, can I have him? They'd go and find a way of getting him. You know, they'd find a new sponsor straight away from from that country and, and get him in. And maybe this, you know, maybe that's um, not being fair to them, but I think it is because that's that's all the all the evidence is there. That's kind of how they work and there's no limits, no worries, no no room to be worried about making a mistake. If you make a mistake financially and you're a club like Liverpool, you pay for that mistake. If Nunez turns out to be 
the worst signing ever, which some people are hoping for, then Liverpool have lost that money then. That's that's not going to come back. That's not just going to be, you know, not going to go to daddy and say, can I have that extra money then because I wasted it on that toy. That's not going to happen. So Liverpool have to be more careful with the money and building the, the ground up and stuff like that, increasing the Anfield Road is all part of this, all part of this work to kind of make the club fend for itself effectively for, for finance. So it was right he said that. But then... That kind of built into this like hatred because City fans, absolutely, or the modern City fan, they absolutely despise anyone pointing out to them all of these facts, all of this information. They hate it, and it even then became a sort of um, claims that Klopp was being xenophobic. But then at the ground, what were their fans doing? I mean, is this the way to behave that they were singing chants about Hillsborough and Heisel and? There was graffiti, and in the end, Liverpool had to call them out on it. And what did City do? Um, as far as I'm aware, nothing. Yeah, they tried to deflect and come out with other sorts of stories, like, you know, that the poor old bus was attacked. No evidence of it. Um, Klopp was making xenophone, xenophone comments, which is a large statement to me, um, when actually he was just stating fact. Um, and... They're not the first. They won't be the last club who come to Anfield and sing things about Hillsborough and, and mock people who've lost their lives and, you know, leave graffiti all over the, the stadium, which they did do. And, you know, it, it's hard evidence there. Um, it, it, I think we've spoke about it before. It's it's long overdue that things like this need to be called out. And I'm glad that Liverpool did, maybe on, you know, the, what would be deemed in in quotation marks, the biggest game of the season because we've been the top two clubs for the last five, six years. Um, so it highlights that. And it was, I didn't see the TV evidence, but people have obviously circulated videos from TV coverage and it was clear as day that it could be heard. Um, just happened to be that this seat I was in in the ground, I couldn't hear them. So I didn't actually remember that they were there, but yeah. so be it. Um, if, if they had blue plastic flag, then I might have noticed them, but other clubs seem to do that. Um, if they started yeah, doing that thing now, where the, you know where the, where the Man United fans turn up to games and they all kind of dress as if they're going to a funeral or something, they all dress in black. Have they started doing that now, City, as well? Because then you don't even see them then, do you? Well, I think it's all this Stone Island sort of brigade in it. Like, yeah. you know, right, let's all get the badge in and prove that we went to game. And what, what does it mean? Like, you go to games to support your team. It's not a fashion parade sort of thing. But um, getting back to the point, like I think they've sort of come out with some half-hour statement like five days later. I think it was released yesterday um, or this morning about like we're going to speak to the fan groups and you know encourage sort of education and stuff. But that's not enough. Like, and I heard something today. Like, well, maybe if if fans are making derogatory comments and chants, then you know you just take away the ticket allocation. Mm. And why, why, why not? Like, if you can't be, you know, trusted to go to the game and and support your team in an honest, truthful way and not degrade people who've lost their lives and tragedies that have happened, then then why not take take the allocation away or lower the allocation or something like that? Because I'm sure there's there's probably a core fan base of City fans who who wouldn't want that. Um, who probably enjoy actually going to support the club and the recent times that they've had and you know that other clubs have suffered the same things but there's been 
multiple teams that come to Anfield and do the same stuff. And we we spoke about it before the old lower league bingo chance that year, yeah. like you know, you robbed our car stereo and the sign on sort of thing. Like you know, it it in the end it's boring because we've heard it all before. If you come up with something new and refreshing, then actually you'll probably get a, a round of applause. You from will, the top actually, because yeah, because yeah. it's original. Um, it's a laugh. It's what it's that, that that word that's been kind of made into something it shouldn't be now. But that what we used to call banter, you know. Yeah, you, you know you yourself, like you and your mates, like you've got your blue mates at work and stuff like that. You sort of you're exchanging banter with them, aren't you? It's not nasty. It's good natured. It's a laugh. And you know, there's always someone ends up with a tail between the legs a little bit, and next day it comes back and it's turned around. And that's that's what football rivalry to me really should be now in this day and age, in this modern times. That's as bad as it should get. You should have. Better taking the piss out of each other, but not not nasty. And the other thing, I think you're right with the getting um, when you're saying about them having the tickets taken away. You know, you think about it. You welcome them into your home. If you welcomed someone into your house tonight and they started giving you shit like that, you wouldn't be welcoming. They, they wouldn't be back, would they? You'd never invite them back again. That's it. You've had your chance. You wouldn't even get to finish the brew. You know, they'd be out. So, you know, if you're you're coming as a guest, great. Come and enjoy the game. Game. Get behind your team. You don't. You don't really help your team anyway. I mean, that's the other thing with this. I've never understood. Singing chants about Hillsborough is not at all helping your team. If anything, it makes the the, the home fans louder and more angry and gets them more on the back of your team. So, you know, you just you you sort of you're doing more harm than good as well as being totally stupid. But what another thing? I mean, I've not um, had a chance to read it all yet, but I saw a tweet. A thread from someone last night that um, Nicholas McGeehan, who's a researcher, occasional writer, and he, he talks about Gulf migrant workers' rights and Petroball, as he calls it on Twitter. And he's just saying, he just had a short thread on the clock, xenophobia stuff. And he was pointing out that Abu Dhabi have people in place at Man City, senior members of the Abu Dhabi regime, if you like, in place at Man City, including Simon Pierce. He was formerly the Director of Strategic Communications for Abu Dhabi, Executive Affairs Authority, and is now a senior advisor. And just reading through the thread, it's basically that it's worth a read, but basically his sort of job is to kind of um, help the image that's that's there, you know, sort of deflect people away from what's really being said. Um, you know, often when there's criticism of them, rather than answering the criticism, send some back the other way. Um, and this thread, it's about 10, 10 tweets long, I think. Um, you know, if you think about it, what they're basically doing is they're just, it's, as he said, it's a classic tactic that UAE and other states and PR agencies, um, classic tactic is like, um, appear to have, well, they've appeared to encourage people to write pieces here, there and everywhere. But, um, they sort of find a fault, find something they can have a go at, make something up and make that the story, turn it away from what's really happened. And what's really happened is a load of Man City fans abuse Liverpool, you know, abuse the memory of Liverpool fans, if you like, and that Klopp's been made out to be xenophobic instead of actually saying, yes, you're right, we do have stupid amounts of money. And it's it's sad in so many ways that the mainstream UK press kind of just buy into it and don't really care they just enjoy watching the fights go backwards and forwards so they get a bit more clickbait each week it's quite similar to the Newcastle situation which we've had and Philippe Auclair who, who come out and basically lambasted Eddie Howe for brilliant that, I for, saw the, that. for the in quotation midget that he is and um, you know that, that was great because it, it all it took was one member of the media to come out and say that now 
a lot of others won't follow and the media will push whatever narrative they want they will influence in whatever way they deem fit um and that's not just for football that's for society and politics and stuff and um you know newcastle some if you probably got an honest newcastle fan in the street and i spoke to them and said like what do you reckon is going on now they probably had it's, it's good but i you know all this money and stuff and what do you think of it where the money's come from they probably like ah, well it's not for me but you know we, we take what we can mm. and if 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 clubs were openly more honest and, and fan bases were more honest and just said like look like it's not the not the ideal situation where we got our money from but it's the hand that we've sort of chosen not being dealt with and we'll take the, the good ride while it comes then you might have a little bit more understanding for them but to have the arrogance which Man City do that it's not me gov it's, it's always someone else like you know, that let's always deflect and let's always look for somebody else to blame or other reasons and other loopholes. That's why the the fast becoming a very dislikable club. Like Chelsea were, were very similar in a way with Roman and his money, but yeah. they were they were openly honest, like, you know, this is where Roman got his money from and he's not really asked, he's just gonna spend, spend, spend. Um but they're also got a very very bad fan base historically. But this city thing, it's just it's it's open arrogance and hey, I don't want to slam the people of Manchester because I'm sure there's a lot of really nice people in Manchester, but they're, they're absolute opposites of what we are, literally like 32 miles or 34 miles away as people. Um, and they're very much in the same situation, except they've got a little bit more sort of financial infrastructure in the city, but they're, they're a working class city at heart and as people really were very, very similar, but they seem to have this chip on the shoulder. And you know, whether it's like United of the 90s and now City, with all the money, it's sort of made them into some sort of monster that nobody really likes. But yeah, maybe it's a City thing that like a sort of Liverpool versus Manchester, but they're not making themselves liked at all and deflecting when, you know, your neighbours in your city have had a, a tragedy and lost people and then your current top rivals have lost people due to a tragedy and you can't even have the humility to come out and just say, okay, we're very sorry, we're embarrassed at the behaviour of our fans. Um, we'll push to do all we can to try and eradicate this. It literally would have took a couple of sentences, but you know they decided, as you say, with the PR exercise of deflect and hope that, you know, people will get on board with them and, and sort of feel sorry for them and don't, I don't know it's just it's something that won't change especially with you know certain clubs like you fully expect when Chelsea come to town they'll probably give the same old sorts of things as well and you know it, it won't it won't change much but it's it's gone on far too long now we're, we're over 30 years of this and you know things need to be put to rest and that's like the family's peace of mind and you know, the fight for justice will always go on. We've always said that, but you can't possibly keep allowing this to happen and upsetting people and allowing things just to continue like it's it's nothing really. No, and I think they, they also maybe, maybe they don't. I mean, I don't think they give a shit, to be honest. I don't think a lot of them are lacking empathy. They're just knobs, basically, the people that go around doing this. And if you let yourself kind of join the crowd that's being knobs, you're a big knob yourself for doing it. But that that's that's what they get like. That's That's 
that's how it makes them. And the blind to it. I mean, I wonder how many of them are the same. Like, they wouldn't sit in an office. They wouldn't sit in a factory and come out with that shit. And as you probably know, as I mean, I, I, I go to Manchester and stuff work-wise, and there's people from kind of, you know, the, the days of people just working like five, ten miles away, twenty miles away, even from where they live, they're gone now. People work all over the show around the northwest as well, for definite, you know. Um, and you're right, the, the cities are so similar. It's 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 a shame that's what they're doing, but I suppose the best way to answer them for now, because it's the families they hurt. That's what I was going to say. Sorry, when when we get upset by you, we're not so much upset for us as we're upset for the families and the survivors and knowing what they've been through and knowing how this is opening old wounds up again. And, and you know, it's just heartless, senseless and, and shows you for what you are. And if that's the badge you want to wear, Manchester City, then you wear it because it really suits you right now. But as I was just about to say, then I think the best way to answer this this stuff is on the pitch. And we did. Um, it was like you say, it was a tense game in itself. But this allowed goal, thanks to VAR. Um, that amazing goal from Salah. I mean, what other, can you think of all the other standout moments in that game? For me, it was just like one great big nervous ball of excitement watching it. Um, and the joy, of course, of the VAR being overturned. But then Salah, that was just an amazing goal. Well, we did say before um, we played the game last week that we would be playing City and the officials and poor Tony Taylor did as much as he possibly could to, you know, <laughs> aid Man City in, a, in his quest to to get them the three points. And if that included not seeing share pulls and obvious fouls and, you know, rugby tackles and attempted, you know, headlocks and stuff, then, you know, we have to just do it the hard way. We've climbed the hill the hard way, as they say. Um it was it was horrible <laughs> and exciting and it's the best atmosphere at Anfield since before COVID. Um, I think that can be easily said and yeah. you know it's it's took something like that to sort of to galvanise the fan base and the team. And I went on Wednesday as well, and there was times when when the fans were up, but I think a midweek game in West Ham, it's not a European night. It just sort of hasn't got the same appeal, but. Um, there's not really been anything to shout about since football's returned proper since like the COVID season. Um, because even though we got to the, the cup final of Champions League last year, there was not really much of a of a tie to get excited about, like, especially the semi final. We were pretty much coasted through um after the first leg and we just sort of had to do a professional job. So those old European nights we've not really had and the games last season against the top clubs had sort of fizzled out with a draw. Um, so the whole thing rolled into one and then just seeing that little ball he fell on the sideline having an absolute meltdown again. And <laughs> as you were saying about the fans, like they they chant what they did and it incenses the home fans and it just creates more animosity and atmosphere in the stadium. Yeah, And at the same time, his head just seems to get bigger and bigger in terms of what's going on inside it. The cogs are all turning, the steam's coming out of his ears and he has an absolute meltdown. So they're not doing their own manager any favours because he literally cannot handle Anfield. I don't know what it is, but he he has this mental block and he seems to go off the rails and Klopp's behaviour with the linesman maybe a bit over the top, but his behaviour with the VAR official and the, the fourth official for the VAR mm. check was hardly exemplary. So, you know, you, you can 
call one thing and not the other. But as we said, where the man Manchester referee was not really going to, you know, listen, Pep, we're probably back on the coach on the way home. Just calm yourself down, and we'll have a we'll have a chat and a game of cards or something. Um, but yeah, it it was it was just good to see everything work. Um, there was not one player on the pitch who gave less than no, like 150%. Everyone had a good game at the very bare minimum. There were some exceptional performances, but you couldn't say anyone really had a bad game. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully now, if we can do the business this weekend and then going into next week, like if we if we put a string of like four or five wins together, all of a sudden the season starts to look a lot less brighter than what it probably did like what, 10, 9, 10 days ago when we were sort of coming off the back of Arsenal and just thinking, wait, we'll get through the Champions League and see what we do in the league and we'll, we'll take it from there. But, you know, a couple of wins has, has rocketed to four, eh, four places in the table and a couple of wins against Forest and Leeds next weekend. We could be finding ourselves like back in the top four. And yeah, that's a, a bit of a fall from where we've been in, in recent years. But given the start we've had, I think we'll all happily take going into the World Cup break in a few weeks' time if we are sat third, fourth, fifth in the table and, you know, knocking on the door, as they say. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, it's not that long ago that Premier League teams could could get away with half a dozen defeats in a season and still win the league and things. And it's been said so many times, Liverpool's points totals in recent seasons that where they didn't win the league would have won them the league on countless other seasons through the Premier League history, at least, or at least since, you know, it's three points for a game and there was that many teams in the in the division and so on and so forth. Um Another thing that's quite interesting as well is because City and Arsenal had their game postponed in midweek so that Arsenal could play the the European game, it kind of also takes away that game in hand thing because this is what was getting forgotten. As well as playing badly and not picking up enough points, we were also at least potential three points down because of the game that got postponed for the Queen's funeral. So now, if you look at the table, there's only um, Newcastle and, and uh, Spurs that have got have played one more game than us. So it feels more realistic now as well when you look at the table. I mean, we are only on 60 and we are in seventh and we are 11 points off the top, but there's no sort of games in hand where you sort of, will we win, will we not, who's it against, you know. Um, and those top two teams, at least one, you know, there's going to be points dropped there. They can't both get three points from when they do finally play each other. So it is, you know, as we were saying, it's not now to say, oh, we're going to win the league, but the idea that it's totally written off, I think maybe we can just put that to one side for now, that get your heads down, get winning, get the results in. And as we've already said, I think you said it earlier on, you know, going back to basics is probably the way to do it because if we win every game from now till the end of the season 1-0, 
I'm not sure. I mean, my nerves will probably be shredded and things like that. But, you know, that's going to put us in a good chance of winning the league. So that's obviously a tall order. But two clean sheets in a row. And it's that man, isn't it? It's that man, Ali, who just somehow is starting to get back to being that man who, whatever else is going on in front of him, we know we can rely on him if they get past the rest of them. And he's, he's I've said it before, he's probably one of the best signings that in Liverpool have made in the Premier League era. Yeah, and can I just say a quick big hello to Sky for the top 11 table that they put out last week and then quickly reverted back to the top 10. That was a nice move and rattled a lot of cages and incensed <laughs> the fume around the whole nation. Um, but yeah, we're back in the top 10 now, so there's no need to worry. It's it's normal, back to normal. Um, I just thought that was very funny to, to, <laughs> to, to lash that in. But you're right, the big fella at the back, and I think Klopp summed it up perfectly today, saying he's he's very good at what he does and he's handsome too. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, he has these moments, he's had like moments throughout his whole Liverpool career in a season where you can sort of pinpoint and say like, that was the moments that like, sort of the penny dropped or the ball got rolling. Like you think back to like the Champions League stadium to Napoli, that sprawl and saving me, like obviously the West Brom header, um, the assist against Manchester United. And then this week, uh, an assist and then a penalty save, like, I don't think a keeper's had a much better week than what he's had in the last few days. So oh. we we are very lucky to have me is without doubt for me the best keeper in the world. I don't think anyone really comes close now. Jan Oblak was was a close rival for a few years, but I think he sort of declined a little bit in in the last two or three years. And when you compare the fellow who stands in goal for City and tries to pretend he's a number ten <laughs> compared to Allison, like. Goalkeeping wise, there's there's a big level of gap between them two. There's a reason why Ali is Brazil's number one. Um, even though Edison probably is a bit better with his feet, and there was a couple of moments on Wednesday where Allison got a little bit carried away in a few moody kicks. But when he's called upon to do the goalkeeping actions, he does them perfectly. Um, and yeah, like without him, without like you know Virgil two massive signings we literally would be floating around the mid-table like it's it's so easy to say but we're not a one-man team but we're literally a team of three or four world-class players and you know we've got Mo Salah up top and other players off around in positions who were very good but you take these couple of lads and they literally elevate everybody to the next level and yeah we're long may stay fit and hopefully Brazil have some sort of tragedy in the World Cup where they can't score goals and you know they, they finish every game nil nil and they go out and he comes back nice and early and has a little rest because yes we are going to need them we we've got a couple of lads in reserve but let's be honest no, nobody fills you with the confidence as that man does no that's the truth isn't it I think you sort of forget how good someone is um, until you sort of realise who's there in the it, it could come in in the place, and that's not having a go at the people who could come in in the place. It's just saying that the the golfing class is immense because of the class of that man. And um, I think we talked. I mean, just just as well this rotation thing as well. I think um, having this ability now just to move people around. We we hope to see play start coming back more. But I just love the way 
how well Robbo played when he played at the weekend and then how well Simicast played when he came in in his place. And, you know, if we're going to give Ali credit for his assist against City, and that was a brilliant goal from Salah, then the assist, the assist from Simicast after the ball from Thiago, um, the assist for Nunez from, from Simicast was, was absolutely brilliant. And it's, um, it's, it's going to cause Klopp some headaches. I think we know that Robbo is going to get the nod most of the time. If nothing changes, you would expect Robbo to always get the nod. But it just lets us it lets us use them both more sparingly and keep them both really fit. And whenever they are called in, they should be right on the game. Yeah, I think it's, it doesn't take a genius to see who is the the overall better player for us. Um, and it, it is Robbo and. I think it was mentioned on on the Raw podcast, like one minute into the game, shoving Bernardo, turning around, give me the ball. Yes. The, crowd, the crowd buy into it. I think we spoke about it as well last week. Like you just want, you know, something to just get the crowd going, and and it all works hand in hand. But you know, for for all that Robbo's got, I think sometimes Costas's delivery in the air is better. I think Robbo puts a better ball, sort of driven along the ground or, you know, a couple of feet off the ground. That's yeah. his sort of trademark. But um, if we are looking to play to, to Nunes' strengths, then a ball in the air because, you know, he's a handful in every way. But if Costas can deliver them a few times a season and, and he can run onto them and, and put them away, then then we won't go far from, from a bit of glory. But it, it's good to have. We need it on the right-hand side. I think, you know, for all we, we pleased Milner um, something's not right with Trent it's it's very obvious um, I don't want to give Gary Neville any credit but he point, pointed the other week about his positional sort of stance and the way he approaches sort of one-on-one defending he's very reserved and flat-footed and it's very easy for the player to go past him and it was a couple of moments on Wednesday I know it was windy but he misjudged the flight of the ball two or three times and allows the opposition to bring it down and get a run at him and people just seem to be going past him like a lollipop man um, but you know maybe young Calvin Ramsey will be knocking on the door soon maybe we get Canate back and Gomez can sort of go out there and challenge him a little bit but yeah. we, we do need that healthy competition on the right hand side but I suppose we could say that all over the pitch we're, we're sort of when you look at it we're bare bones really we Yes, we're scraping the barrel like two or three lads for one or two positions. Like up top, I've just seen just seen now. Klopp said in his press conference today that Nunes will be checked um, before the game tomorrow. I know he got taken off, and it was a precaution due to a potential hamstring injury. But even even that's not good. We're sort of we're already down a couple of star attackers in Diaz and Jota, and yeah. I suppose if it's one game, it's not enough for us. We can get by, but we can't, we can't seem to catch a break at the moment with injuries. And you know, it just seems to when when it rains, it pours for us. Um, and we would just like a spell of, you know, twenty lads fit. Um, but you know, we we can't always have what we want in life. No, I mean the, the the thing about the five subs and everyone lowered sort of I don't know what point it kicked in in the Premier League, but certainly clubs lower down the the end of last season's league table were saying that five subs is too many and it's not fair and all this sort of stuff, which I don't really believe is anything other than nonsense from them. But it's it's not really been something we can 
eight we've been able to take a great lot of advantage out of because if if everyone was fully fit, we could put five players on who were all players that would probably want fit into just about any other Premier League team. You know, that that's where we should be at, but injuries have got in the way. And it's something you know, it's something that we need to get fixed, but I'm sure we can do. But you know, we can't you know, we have to look at why this is happening, why a player's injury not getting injured all the time. Is it is there something in it? Is there something we're doing wrong? Is it just bad luck? And hopefully we can look at it, but also maybe admit that in some cases that some of these players are not going to get back to playing every game and we can just start to sort of move them out and, you know, get someone else in in the place. And talking of moving out, um, there wasn't just the lettuce that lost the job <laughs> yesterday, was it? Um, <laughs> poor Steven Gerrard has been um, let go by Villa and apparently Brendan Rodgers is very disappointed in it. He don't th- doesn't think manager- managers get enough time. And he's obviously saying that from down the bottom of the table, having had... Um, and let me just check. Have they had a worse start than Villa? Yes, they have. They've had a worse start than Villa. So um, was it a surprise to you that, that Gerrard... Not so much that he went, because I think you know it's inevitable with that kind of run of results, but surprised that it's got to that state with the mod. Do you think maybe that was a job too big too soon for him? Um, it, at, at the time, it sort of seemed like a, an opportunity for Gerard. I think was probably the right way to put it. Um, it it's probably now put to bed any sort of chance that he is the man to take over Klopp. Um, if Klopp's the Seattle's contract, I think it's four years um, left to run. Could be wrong on that one. Um, someone will correct me, no doubt. But oh, yeah. um, I think, you know, he went to Rangers and there's not much more you probably could have achieved at Rangers. Maybe you could have stayed another year or two and maybe got another league title or whatever. Um, but the ambition of the Villa owners, the money they've spent, and I know they've had a couple of injuries, which which doesn't help anybody, um, especially to the lads you've brought in. But they're ambitious, and they want to see Aston Villa back to the, the high heights that they were at several years ago. Whether that was um, consistently, you know, challenging at the right end of the Premier League, or if you take it back further, um, winning European Cups, then. Stevie probably isn't your man. Um, but when a Premier League job comes knocking at your door, it'll take you know a set of bollocks to sort of turn around and say no. And mm. I know Mick Beale's done that at QPR to Wolves, but he's literally been a manager for five months, so that's probably common sense more than anything. Yeah. Uh, and not only that, like Stevie was obviously working in Glasgow and his family are in Liverpool, so you know logistically, Liverpool to Birmingham isn't that far away to Liverpool to Glasgow and if you want to come back home and have a few pints in the pub you know it's not that far down the motorway um, no. which was which was the story on Monday night and whether you want to believe whatever um, he was in a local pub like he grew up in in Heighton which is where I'm from um, so it doesn't take long if you are Stephen Gerrard and you are in a local pub in Heighton for it to suddenly get round yeah um, local WhatsApp groups and whatever state he was in may have been Chinese whispered and made a lot worse than what it was. He might have been there for a lot less or shorter time than what was made out. Um, but I think inevitably the writing has sort of been on the wall for him. And I think Brendan Rodgers is only saying that because he might have had a few quid on someone else to go before him <laughs> and actually got good odds on it. Um, 
So I think it's sort of a race between who who is going to go, whether it was Brendan or Stevie, or, you know, even the fella across Stanley Park. He's not exactly pulling up trees, but he shouted a clop and he gets them. So he might get a little bit more time. Yeah, he's um, got one more point at Everton than uh, Gerard got at Villa. So, you know, yeah, but of now. if you get the fan base, you're all right. And if you shout at the fella who, who wears red, you're all right. That's what, that's um, it, isn't it? With, with Everton, it's literally that. Like if you if you're running that club and you're thinking, how the hell can we pick a manager who the fans will like? Because with the you know they're so fickle, aren't they? And that they soon fall out with people. How can we pick one they like? And you just go through a list. Who's, who's pissed Liverpool off in some way? Yeah, you know, and, and can we afford them? And then you sorted. Yeah, it it it's it's crazy. But re- re- regarding Stevie, um, I think it'd probably be best for him. As a, if he's going to continue his managerial career, to probably take the rest of the season out. Yeah, and I know that's very early on. Like we're only in October now, but there'd be no harm in him going round and sort of learning his trade. I know a lot of managers and coaches often travel round um, several clubs and other managers and sort of shadow them and learn from them. Yeah, um, it wouldn't do him any harm to do that because you know he. He probably just need a bit more experience, and and maybe it would be a case of you step down a level, you go down to the championship. There's there's a lot of big clubs in the championship who would take Stephen Gerrard the name, um, and he would probably learn a lot more as a manager in England. I know Scotland to England is very different in terms of levels. Mm. And get a lot more credit in the bank if he went down to the championship and and done the hard yards and maybe got a team into the playoffs or you know if he got really lucky and, and had a good run of form and and brought someone up or if he takes himself away from the limelight of the Premier League it, it probably won't do him any harm and and some time off um, won't also do him any harm and I just for you know a little shout out to the Villa fans as well who were singing sign on to a lad who's yeah. multi-millionaire and probably not losing any sleep at the fact that he's probably lost his job and will not be having to go down the job centre tomorrow no. morning to sign on. Um, yeah, it'll be, so, your, yeah, it'll just be a, your club paying for all his um, pints in Heighton yeah. for the next six months, yeah. won't it? You know? it's just, just another thing of like fan bases who've got uneducated um, views. But he, he'll, he'll be fine. Like he, He's not going to be short of of offers I don't think in a, in a few months time and he, he's done punditry and if he wants to delve his little toe back into you know a few TV appearances I'm sure he'll probably see himself in a few months usually the case with managers they'll disappear and then when they want a job they sort of pop up on Monday Night Football or you know a high profile game in the studio and lo and behold a couple of weeks later they're usually back in the hot seat so I'm sure he's he'll, he'll be fine. Um, he's probably sat at home in his rather large house in Formby, enjoying himself at the moment. I think the other thing as well is Villa have done that thing that lots of football clubs do, where um, it doesn't go well, so you just make sure that all the blame falls on the manager. And I'm not going to go into it too much now, but there's a bit on my Twitter. Um, of course, the, the CEO is he? I think the chairman, one of the two, the, the man in charge at Villa is Christian Perslow, who yes. was once of LFC. And the chief operating officer is Paul Tyrrell, who was once a press off the press officer, or was it public relations for Liverpool? Um, and let's just say that there was a dossier put together back before I think Anfield Index was even thought of, 
when there was a lot of trouble going on with Liverpool and the ownership stuff. And Fiddling Nets would have been around then, sorry, but it was well before all of these podcasts and AI Pro had, had kicked off. And I was... Um, at the time, just doing something called Anfield Road, my own site. And there was a lot of speculation and a lot of people who supported Liverpool and also had some kind of role in in some form of media, whether it was fan media or mainstream media, you know, newspaper journalists, whatever. You were worried about your club, what the hell is happening to it? And you talk to each other, you'd compare notes, you'd try and get bits of information off other people and you'd work your way in to see what the hell's going on and you'd talk to each other. Meanwhile, that was shitting the life out of people who were at the club at the time in the in the boardroom because they didn't know what the hell we knew. Um, and, well, I'll go into it, I will go into it one day, but one day I had a phone call of someone and it ended with a threat if I dared to tell anybody what had been said in the conversation, how could you ever take a threat seriously if someone's called Cecil? One of those things. <laughs> I will get into it sometime, but I think, you know, from, from Villa's point of view, you want to look at, um, look outside that dressing room, look outside who's the manager, look at what else is going on at that club. There's other stuff as well, which I, I know about Villa, which I'm not sure what I can say, but, you know, other little things. And it's not, you know, often, often with signs of trouble, it's not the great big things that give things away. It's the little things. I was always the same when the stuff was going on with Liverpool's ownership. It wasn't the big things. They always make a lot of effort to get the big story straight. It's the little tiny details that they screw up on that tells you straight away something's not right. And that's the case with Villa, I think. I think as good as it's been in so many ways with the new ownership, I'm not sure it's been run the way it should. I mean, after all, if you've got someone in your boardroom who thinks it's okay to put your tracksuit on and start basically picking the players and choosing the signings for you, you know, even though they've got no actual experience in football other than at non-league level with, with kids, then you've you've got trouble. So I say to say that to Villa, you know, stop singing sign on and start looking a bit more closely at what's going on at your club because, you know, Gerard is not the cause of your problems at the moment. And you know, the the longer you believe that, the longer you let the people who should know better stay in charge, which is kind of like taking us back to lettuce again, isn't it? Which we don't <laughs> want to do. Um after this, though, now two one nils and that seven one before that, we're on a bit of a run. So it's Forest now, isn't it? And I don't know. I think I've said this somewhere else as well. It's their ground is one of those places for, as we saw last season in the cup, that you know the crowd can get on your back, and if you make a bit of a mistake, you know all about it. Is is it going to be a bit of a banana skin tomorrow? I mean, they're right at the bottom of the table. They need a win. It just feels like it's one of those. You know, those scripted games that Sky like to have almost, that, you know, giant killers and all the rest of it. Is that... Do we need to be worried? Um, On the whole, no. Not really. We shouldn't be anyway. Uh, given the performances of the last uh, couple of games, especially in the league, we we should have more than enough for whatever 11 lads out of the 42 that they've signed in the summer that they put out there. <laughs> um I couldn't honestly tell you who plays for Forest. Uh, I know I, I know a handful of players, and that's purely from fantasy football points of views of looking who is the cheap lad I can put on my bench. Um, usually Nico Williams. Um, yeah, but he, he always does well when he's on my bench. You know, he's, yeah. I couldn't tell you how they line up, other than listening to Carl and Dave scout a pod that I've learned that they played four four two and kept a clean sheet in the last game. But they're reeling off these players' names and. Fair play. If you know more about them players than than anyone else, then then you're doing well in in European and international football. Um, it's probably the same for their fans as well. Eleven games yeah, in, they've not seen a I lot mean, of them. I mean, it, it must be weird. Like, how do you 
you want a connection to your players and you bring in all these lads and the lads that got you up have sort of been discarded and, and tossed on the scrap heap. Um, interesting stuff for you, though. Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold, should he play tomorrow, will be the first player since Don Hutchinson to play a game next to a river that shares his name back in 1999 when he played for Everton <laughs> at Sheffield Wednesday. That is one hell of a stat, isn't it? If that doesn't get repeated on the TV over the weekend, then... Yeah, I was, that's somewhat... I, I mean, I think it's, <laughs> I think it's BT, so... Right. Be Fletch, 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 got one for you. Got one for you, dear Fletch. Um, yeah. And and, and Macher will whip that one else, um, and then Fletch will be chucking those little boobies off, but... Um, I hope they've got the drone ready pointed at the river and everything. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it's coming. It's coming. Um, oh, it's a BT game, isn't it? Right. Okay. Yeah, I, I might just go to the pub and just drown it out because it's in the way day. <laughs> um, yeah. But but back to Forest, they, they did give us trouble last year. I think you know they're, they're a lot different prospect in terms of what they were last year because the momentum was behind and they were they were going for promotion and yeah, a lot of the players have probably changed so. Whatever eleven they line up with tomorrow, I don't think you could probably pick it. Be names out of a hat, probably. Um, we are probably restricted to what we can do in terms of squad, but we should have more than enough um, to put them aside. And I, I would just be happy with a two nil um, yes. tomorrow. Uh, clean sheets, as we say, you can't lose if you keep clean sheets. Or Mike alone uh, quotation, <laughs> but just just the. The consistency of you know if we keep three clean sheets in the league, it's it's a massive confidence boost and you know we get out of there with with a two nil victory, three nil, whatever. But a nil on our side is is paramount, and I think we'll always have enough quality and firepower to to put them to bed. And you know if we if we get that um, half two tomorrow afternoon, we're only three points behind Man City. That's mad, isn't it? I mean, I know. They still have to play them, but that just shows how the season can turn around. And you know, we—it's easy to get dragged into all the hype because that's what you know the hype machine loves to have with us, isn't it? And, and with football in general, you know, everything is all or nothing. Everything is like a little, like we've all got goldfish memory. So that game that's being played is the be all and end all of everything. A week later, oh, all of a sudden, this game's the be all and end all of everything. I'm sick of the title decider weekends that they have like twelve times in three months and things like that. It's, it's just. It's just hyped and it's exciting as well in some ways. But, you know, sometimes you just got to kind of step back, have a look at reality and think, you know what? Um, yeah, we could go and have a run of three bad games now. Don't get me wrong. But if we have a run of three good games, where are we going to be? Because not everyone is going to be having a run of three good games that's above us. So you've got to fight for it. Just um, Forest as well. It's a bit of a weird one, really, because like they used to be our rivals back in the day. The way I mean, Chelsea kind of... Think, think they're our rivals with the plastic fans and I just think it's a plastic rivalry as well with the plastic flags and all the rest of it and Man City are trying to kind of do that now as well and again it feels like you know just go back to hating your neighbours instead of sounding like them but you know again it, it's because of where we are but with Forest, the rivalry back then was a similar kind of situation that you know we were winning things they were winning things um, ups and downs what, what about the fans as well I mean Fans that I know, and I, I don't know loads of Forest fans, but I know a couple, they're fine, they're all right. And it's like the thing that happens all the time when you meet fans of other clubs. Like, if you kind of meet them in a similar walk of life to yours, you know, might be however you know them, might be work or something else. And they're generally all right. It's the ones that sort of make a name for themselves that are the opposite. And 
And that's the sad thing with Forrest and Brian Clough, great manager and all the rest of it, but he at one point was basically parroting what the Sun said and he was helping spread the myths about Hillsborough. Their fans who were at the game were trying to make stuff up because it's quite clear, you know, as, as history has proven, as all the evidence has come out, it's quite clear what happened and what Forest fans were claiming happened. Well, either they weren't at the game or they're just lying. So, again, those fans, you know, it's shameful, but it it does mean that there is that sort of ill feeling, definitely between some Liverpool fans and some Forest fans. And, you know, although they're down at the bottom of the table and they're not exactly a big scalp or anything. There will be a little bit of like a little extra bit of a smile on people's faces. Not if we beat them, not, not for all the good fans, but for those fans that, you know, brought shame on the club, in my opinion, back in the day. So fingers crossed. The only other question then is, of course, is to get that win. How are we going to go about saving players? We're we're starting to see, you know, the, the injury list, as soon as one player comes back, two players go out. It feels like that at the minute. And, We've got to rest players, have we? Ready for the midweek visit to Ajax? Or do we need to keep this momentum going first? It's, I think that's one of the toughest choices Klopp's going to have to make this season. Because you can't, in my opinion, although you think you can't go to Ajax thinking it's all done and you're through, we need to come back with a result from there, don't we? Of some sort. We can't lose, basically. So, Yeah, it, it buys us a free hit then in the last game. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, you probably would say it's 60-40 Ajax being the most important game of mm. the next two coming up um, because you know as, as good as we are doing in the league you've got what 28 games to you know yeah. claw back any sort of slip up that you might make but if you slip up against Ajax you've literally got one shot then um, to sort of eradicate that mistake so well, that will be some European night if that happens though won't it back at Anfield <laughs> yeah. I hope it's not I hope it's the most boring Dead oh, rubber night I'm, ever. <laughs> I'm, I'm more than happy to see, you know, Kelleher in goal, Milner at right back, and yeah. you know, a couple of kids against Napoli and and give them some European experience or whatever. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think it's it's the job of the manager. That's why he's paid the heavy money that he is. Um. And the medical team and all the coaches and whatever to to pick the lads best suited physically and tactically and mentally. Um. For these next couple of games and I think we've already seen like the likes in midfield it's it's basically two from three um, given this new sort of shape that we've adopted and if Fabinho can come on and not play in concrete tangerines like he did the other night then <laughs> he should be okay um, and I would probably hedge my bets and say Thiago probably starts um, on an the weekend, but we yeah. could more than likely just get by without him. If, if not, I'm, I'm only thinking him because you can get unbelievable football for an hour out of Thiago and probably kill the game. Yes. Um, and then you bring the captain on to just sort of shuffle about and do what, what he does. Um, albeit not great in, in recent performances, but I wouldn't be too fussed had Jimmy Milner lined up at right back tomorrow and Trent get a bit of a breather yeah. Um, because I don't know enough about Forrest but I, I think if they had a flying winger say like Newcastle have got Alan St. Maximum on that side you would you would know about it um, so I'd be more than happy to, to see Jimmy Milner there if, if he is the case and you know if Darwin's not 100% you don't you don't risk him no. um, 
you know, we've got a couple of lads there who've, who've started to show a bit bit of quality in in Elliot and Carvalho. Um, that they're maturing into into footballers that we we want um, yeah. and, and I like to see. And you know, the likes of Curtis Jones come off the bench. Nice Oxley Chamberlain was on the bench. The game will probably come too early for the likes of Navigator. Um, but if we can get these couple of lads on the bench and sort of give them 15, 20 minutes, it will help us in sort of the rotation policy. And, you know, you referred to the five subs before. It's only beneficial if you've got players to actually bring on and yeah. and, and be of use. If you're, if you're literally looking at your bench and thinking, well, out of the nine lads I've got there, I can only really rely on three to, to do anything of of solid nature, then, you know, num- numbers are helpful. Um, and I think we'll see Andy Robertson back at left back um, just because Costas played the majority of the game the other night. And, you know, it, it will it will be a rotation, like you said earlier on with those, but we, we've got more than enough quality to beat them. And, yeah, the, the, the key thing is to, to get out of that game and get out of the Ajax game with two two games that you don't lose um, the two games that we should be winning um, but it's paramount really that we we get through the Champions League and, and buy ourselves a free game Yeah and it'd be so nice just going into Christmas now when we're in the next um, not even into Christmas into the World Cup which leads into Christmas um, knowing that we're in the next in the good pots in the European draws after Christmas and uh, Well we're not going to win the group so no. you might as well just accept the second. And... Yeah, but at least you're in the Champions League yeah, oh, and yeah. you're not waiting for that crappy UEFA Europa League music instead of the Champions League music and all the rest of it, as well as hopefully by then getting a bit of a run in the league. Um, just quickly, I think, on Elliot and Carvalho as well. These are the kind of occasions and kind of moments when young players can really come through and uh, on into something of their own because all of a sudden you're being put into a position of responsibility and... You've not maybe not got anyone breathing down your neck just yet, and you can just show what you can do. So, you know, the, the, these are the games that sometimes you look back on and think these were kind of turning points for those players, and it's what propelled them into great things. Before we go, there's been so much to fit in in one week of football. You know, it's it's mad what's gone on with Liverpool, but it's good as well. It's all good stuff. Even even the bad stuff's good because we know we're right, or I think we are anyway. So, before we go, I just want to say as well, welcome. Tony Evans to Anfield Index. Tony, of course, was um, the football editor at the Times for a long time. He was a football editor at the Times when all that stuff was going on with uh, Perslow and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, he was definitely one of the people I was speaking to on the phone and comparing notes with for quite a while during those turbulent times. And he's a man who loves the club and has the club's best interests at heart. And I know he's, you know, people argue with him on Twitter and things, but that's what Twitter's for, isn't it? It's quite funny watching him and how people bite when he says stuff. Hopefully get him involved as well in some podcasts as well. And, you know, we'll see what we can do. But he's writing a regular column as well for Anfield Index, which it will definitely be worth a read. I don't know if it's been put out yet, but I've had a... Yeah, it's dropped today. Has it dropped? Yeah, because I had a sneak well, As we record, it's Friday afternoon. Um, Brilliant. And it, it dropped, I think, about... A couple of hours ago. Yeah, have a read. It's really, really good. It's really insightful. It's good to have his voice on here. You know, have a listen. Um, another local, although he's been down in that London for a long time, but he, he knows what you know. He knows what it's about. So always have a listen. And even if you don't agree with him, just remember that it's all coming from the heart. And even if you don't agree, you know, that's fine. Don't sort of accuse him of having any ulterior motive because I don't think that's the case. And unlike a lot of mainstream reporters and stuff, you know, the club comes first and. That's quite rare, especially when Murdoch's running things and stuff like that. 
But I think for now, that's going to be us, isn't it? That's We've fitted in as much as we could in the hour, and we've probably not done justice to half of the stuff that's gone on, but who cares? We've got, we'll be back next week, I'm sure, for more, and hopefully talking about a couple more wins. But for now, thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.